Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. All right, we have a major treat for you all today. Our guest has been called the Dean of American Design. He's on the 8100 list. You've seen his work in all of your favorite design magazines, Architectural Digest, Town & Country, El Decor, many more. He's also releasing his third book this month, Stephen Sills. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Well, thank you for asking me to do this. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yes. So your new book is out this month. Mm -hmm. It's called Stephen Sills, A Vision for Design. And... Maybe you could just kind of give us a little introduction, walk us through the book. It's your second book and kind of your most recent work, your mm-hmm. own homes are in there. No. You also mentioned in the introduction, you wanted it to be a teaching book. So tell yeah. us about how it got started. The, my previous book before I was very proud of, and it was like 20 years of work, spe- specific projects. They're very beautiful and some are over the top grand and some very humble ones. I was very proud of it, but I didn't, I, I think I made a mistake not having any text and really telling my viewpoint of how I came upon these projects and how I handled them. And I just thought the second book might be more interesting if it was for my voice and just sort of told how I come up with the process of my craft that I do. And I think it'd be more interesting for the readers to, uh, just sort of get my philosophy about design and how I approach a project and not just have a cold sort of picture book. So that's why I did this. I told David Netto I wanted to to be a teaching book, but then I call myself, and I don't want to be teaching or preaching. I just want to explain my um, sort of perception of interior design and how I approach it. It's my point of view. It's not everybody's point of view. Well, I, I really enjoyed, I mean, first off, the projects are beautiful, so varied. I always, my favorite part is always seeing the designer's home. So I loved that we got a couple of those from you, um, your New York apartment and also your your country house in Bedford, Connecticut. Uh, I wanted to start with the front of house because you kind of, in one of your chapters, talk about how the front of house rooms, as you call them, or the primary rooms are very important to get right. And so I was curious if you could kind of share with our listeners why you think they're so important and what challenges you usually see when when designing them. I think they're the most important is the living, the first living area, because that that tells the story of the people that live there and what how they want to live and how they what's their personality. And that's what I'm interested in and not telling the story of a decorated house that they don't relate to. I mean, all my work is very specific to the client and I'm trying to explain who they are and what they would like to live in. That's why I think that when you first walk into the entry hall off to the living room is very important because it tells the story of the atmosphere of 
where you're at and who you're, the people are that live in this place. And I think it's so important that the small spaces like the entry hall can, is a very interesting space to pronounce this. And, and I think, you know, halls and everything are very important places. You cannot connect it. Spaces is the title of some, a chapter in my book. And I just say it's very important for all the the hallways and the small rooms adjacent to the living room. They all have to tie together and lead you into a different area. And uh, they have to be carefully considered just as much as the personality of the living room. That's just how I approach that. I was just thinking like, in, it can go to the smallest space too. Like if you have a four room apartment in Manhattan, which I do, uh, the entry hall is very tiny. I mean, it's, I had to create an illusion to make it larger. So I curtained the walls. So it looks like there's space behind the curtain and it really does work. And it softens uh, the atmosphere until you get into the, turn the corner into the living room. And I think um, spaces, small spaces are very important. They have to be very, you know, considered very important. So you're, you're almost using those connective spaces as introductions to the rooms that they're yes. leading into? Right. And they are the introduction and they can be like a, the canvas, like a painting of the, the landscape, you know, the, the sky or the earth or I don't know how to explain it. It's just very important to have those intermediate spaces going into the living room in one stroke of decor to, to match what you're entering into, which is a more complex decorating thing into a living room. So do you, do this by creating contrast, like by doing something like either sparse that leads into a room that has a lot going on or vice versa, like a patterned wallpaper that leads into a room that's a little bit more sparse and open, or do you pick a color or what are some considerations that you have? Well, I think texture is a very good, I think a texture is a very good way to lead into a large space because and it could be very serene and textured wallpaper or beautiful lime paint or texture of the paint or uh, simple wallpapers. And I don't really like to put wallpapers in the entry hall because it gets the most banged up uh, space when you're walking in and out of the door. But you can, you know, you can enlarge the space with mirrors, which is an old, old trick that still works very well. And um, but then you could do beautiful textured vinyl papers are so beautiful now and they really work well and or just the right color of paint. Something as simple as that has a lot of power of a, just a simple color, a great color that will lead you into the big space. Oh, I just wanted to talk about texture on the walls for a little bit, because there's one project that you have featured in here where you put a paisley fabric 
I believe on the walls and then you textured over with plaster to add oh. just like a little bit more like I that, oh, that just kind was, of blew my mind like a- how are you coming up with ideas like this I mean that's that's just to have that installed just seems like such a fabulous idea in and of itself but then to to add that extra layer was so special that was that was a beautiful cruel uh cruel fabric that i found and it was discontinued so i bought it all and i had it i sent it off and had it paperbacked and then um i made a sample out of with it on a board and um I wanted to plaster to make it look like I mixed up paint and plaster and a scratchy brush. And we, we, I scratchly scratched it on the cruel paperbacked fabric and it became so beautiful. And uh, I just wanted it to be like an old faded wall with texture. And it just, I don't know why I did it, but I just thought it would be beautiful and it did turn out beautifully. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it just calmed down and it took the the idea of the fabric away. And you you had this beautiful dimension of this cruel work fabric that came out and it had so much dimension. And when I scratched the plaster on the wall, it just made it very soft and beautiful and mellow. And uh, I do a lot of things with fabrics. Well, it's gorgeous. And I like to use the backs of fabrics a lot because it's the backside of a lot of these prints are so beautiful because the the uh, dye bleeds through the fabric and it's more softer and more impressionistic on a lot of these floral fabrics. I don't like the harshness of a lot of printed fabrics and florals, but the backsides I love a lot. So. I'm not a floral person to begin with. So I like to soften it and sort of fade it out. I was just thinking, I think I was influenced way back in Oklahoma and Texas. I, I met some a wonderful lady that was an old, old decorator. And I always she was always dipping. It was the first time, I mean, everybody was doing it, but she was dipping all of her chintz into like tea baths and things to get an old patina on it. And that always impressed me to go one step beyond what you just buy out of a decorating store, you know, to, to stain the fabric with tea dyes and things. And it was, it was really beautiful. It's a particular kind of taste, but I think that sort of had an impact on me to start changing fabrics using backsides and plastering them and that sort of thing, you know, manipulating it. You kind of talk about making things feel, I guess, less fussy or, you know, it's kind of a way to bring it down some? Make it less recognizable and less Mm. newish, you know, like just off the printing press. Earlier in the book, you you kind of speak to um, how some of your more recent clients are living differently than maybe clients were earlier in your career, more Mm -hmm. casual. I was wondering if you could speak to this a little bit. I mean, is it just wanting things to be more uh, 
not as dressy? Is it a way of arranging rooms? Yeah, I think, you know, I think in the last uh, probably 15 years, in the last 10 years of, of my work, I've gotten a lot of new young people, you know, that have young children and everything, but they want a formal look, but they want it comfortable and easy. And uh, all of these young people, they understand they do not want to waste a big space for the dining room anymore because they never do have big formal dining rooms that nobody goes into. They don't want that anymore, which I think is very brilliant of them because the lifestyles have changed drastically. And uh, people want their space more usable. And it's an interesting thing that uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, things for young people that they want a dining room table, but they want it to be like stacked with books, make it a library, dining room. You know, they want their kids to be comfortable in them and play in them and can have sofas and upholstered furniture in the dining rooms. I mean, they just don't want formal dining rooms anymore or they want small formal dining room. I think young people just the the lifestyle people are living now has changed drastically in the last 15 20 years from their parents and how other people lived because people usually never won't go into the living room or the dining room when they have big houses but they want it now they want it very user friendly and not quite so formal i've noticed that even the grandest young people <laughs> And I think it's cool. Like they don't want that roped off no, room where mom is always saying, don't go in there. And <laughs> But they, it, it's still a formal living room for entertaining, but it's just not meant to feel formal. Exactly. And they like it want, is an entertaining space? It's a, sort of an entertaining space, you know. And most people, when they have parties, everybody goes to the kitchen anyway. And that's why they love big kitchens. And... Um, mm -hmm. It's just interesting that people are taking their dining rooms out of the equation and maybe just having a small table next to some beautiful windows. In the city, I've noticed that a lot. Not anything formal anymore. It can be formal, but it has to be done in a different way. Do you, way. when you do that, I guess you're kind of describing like a breakfast room. Are you dressing up the breakfast room a little so it like can be both or... Well, I don't think where are people? they're even using a breakfast room. I think they just want a dining room with a smaller table and a break front, and they'd like to have mm. a sofa in it, some chairs, and they pile books on their dining room table, mm -hmm. and they, or it's a work table when they're not using it. You know, and it's always a problem to have like ten or twelve chairs in a room. Where do you put all the chairs? You know, it's very interesting. Are you nostalgic about about more formal dining rooms that you did in the past, or are you comfortable with this new kind of? I like both, you know. I mean, I'm doing an apartment now that the girl wants a very formal dining room. She had the apartment's big enough, and she's going to get it. But who's going to go in there? She doesn't care, you know. But I think most people with young kids want to use the whole apartment and make it very comfortable even 
the uh, big house in New Jersey I did had this couple had young kids and you know the one that we talked about the the plaster and everything on the paper that was their house they wanted the kids to be in the living room you know there were two dining room tables with banquettes and it doesn't look like a formal dining room you know not a central chandelier or just more casual in banquettes and dining table with a sofa I think the whole idea of I mean for most people for living is much more intelligent we've just changed people don't have the help that they need to give a formal dining room uh, to that they invite their people over they don't have want to have the help come in to serve it and it's more casual now more in the grandest houses they like buffets and take your plates mm-hmm. to the table it's just a different psyche now i really liked getting to see your project boards like you you can you kind of describe them to people because you have sort of a um well that's um yeah, that's that's how I create the uh, decor and the whole conce- the whole um, house. You have to do boards for me. I have to do boards because I, I I like a blank board to start with, with a plate at the bottom that says what room it is, what client it is, with a small little floor plan of each room, and they all connect like like I do like 10 or 15 boards for every house probably 10 boards for apartments and things it's just a great way to see things because you could have the boards lined up and then you can start lay laying in furniture inspiration upholstery styles coloring fabrics and uh, we lay them out on these long tables and we go through fabrics and rugs and uh, pieces of furniture and moods and everything. We just start putting them on, on each table very mercurial. We think about it a lot and just it makes a story of the house and how it flows from living to the hall to the den, to the dining area, to the kitchen, upstairs to the bedrooms, downstairs to, to bedrooms. And it just, you can see it all in a micro sort of way. These design boards, you can immediately see what the room's gonna look like and feel like. And you have to arrange the fabrics very carefully to show them in what volumes the, the fabrics are used in, like the curtains are a bigger, swatch of the fabric the chairs the poetry or in volumes of this actually size of the fabrics so you can see you know visually where the print or where the color or the volume is going to be in each size of the uh, material that's how I, I i can that's how i visualize it and i think clients can read it really easy if you do that and then you could point to the floor plan where this all goes to and then just looking at the volumes of the fabrics 
on the board, you can see what the total thing's going to be. Yeah, seeing things side by side is, you can't, you have to. <laughs> yeah, and we live in such a digital world that it's so fascinating and, and inspiring to get everything out on one big table just to really see the whole of the house and the, the ideas for the whole of the house together um, and yeah. to get it out of a digital realm. Absolutely, that's a very good point because everybody's on a screen today you can find one singular piece on a screen, but you can't really see what it's going to translate into a room until you put it on the board with the other things that you have going on. And it makes just visual sense more than anything. Especially with fabrics. Yeah. You know, the, the way you you touch and the, the feel of it to you is so unique to everybody. Some people love velvet or some people love linen, you know, some people like a boucle. And right. if you just see a picture, you're not going to, and that's what you're going to touch and feel all day. You want it to be a good sensory experience. Every one of them touches the fabric and takes it off the board to feel it and understands it. And it's immediately they can understand it and they say, no, I don't like this. It's too rough. And I said, fine. That's what we need to hear, you know, you, something softer, but the same concept, you know, and you actually experience the whole thing on these boards, what it's going to look like, where the proportions are going to be. And it just makes sense to me. And that's the only way I've always worked. I don't, lots of people yeah. don't even work yeah. with boards at all. They, they put them in bins, just tons of fabric and stuff. I never could do that. I have to visually look <laughs> at it in proportion. Also, just to finish this, the, the fabric conversation, I, I feel like everyone needs to order a sample and any furniture store you're shopping at, if they're a good one, they'll let you order a sample and that is not Absolutely. a step you can skip. You have to have a sample. You can't rely on your memory either of what something looks like. You need the real Stephen, thing. I was very intrigued by the way you use throw pillows. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like often your throw pillows are quite simple. You know, it's a solid color. Mm -hmm. um, there are not a ton of them. They're very sort of symmetrically arranged. There was the one project in Florida where you used those big the balls, <laughs> um, sort of metallic -y, yes, which were amazing. But outside of those, you know, you're pretty um, edited in the way. To, wait, I feel like that differs than a lot of decorators. So what, what's behind that? Um, I just like a clean, tidy look. And um, I like, I don't like things piled up. I like a clean, clear idea. I don't like piles of stuff. I mean, it's just my personality that I like to be very edited and I want it very clean. And I think something that works visually together that doesn't, pop out at you immediately, but this, it's just comfortable and soothing and more contemplative. And, but I use throw pillows too, just for color relief too, to let's break up a sofa, of a lot of fabric, but, uh, I don't like a lot of throw pillows. 
two or three on the sofas. And, but I'm, I've always been very I mean, it was, they're incredibly elegant. They are? Oh, good. That's nice to know. I think, I, well, I think the way you've styled them is very elegant. I, I really sized them the right way on the pieces of furniture. You know, 18, 20 inch, 22, you know, and what's shape and everything. It's all very important. Every move you make. So what are you considering when you're choosing a shape or a, or a size? What are you considering? Are, are you going smaller? Are you... Um, it just depends on the mood of the room or, um, I like 20 inch pillows. That's just sort of a general thing. But some things take larger pillows because the sofa backs are bigger and some things are smaller. I'm looking through the book now. There's not a lot of pillows in here. Some. Yeah, there are pillows. But, but I think pillows, it's a, it's a great technique for the design and the atmosphere. It can bring in just a little bit of color in to break up a long mass of sofa. And that's what I like to do with it, just to break the masses up with it. Can you tell us a little bit about your own home in, in Connecticut? Um, you've lived there for 30 years. So what, you know, kind of, how has it changed? It's, it's actually in New York. It's oh. it's Bedford, New York. Everybody thinks it's in Connecticut, oh. but it's just like 45 minutes <laughs> up from New York. Uh, well, there you go. I'm sorry. And I've lived there since 1991. No, it's just- I'm from Alabama, so it's all Bedford, foreign to me. <laughs> Oh, you're from Alabama? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to Alabama Thursday to Birmingham. Are you? Okay. Do you have a project um, there? Yeah, I'm going to give a talk there. And I'm going to give a talk oh. there to the Garden Club. Well, I hope you have nice um, weather. And I'm from Oklahoma, so it's sort of the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the section in the back of the book is where Martha, she's your neighbor in Bedford, right? So you, she can't, yeah, comes she over to your is, garden, right? Yeah, we see each other all the time because she's a great gardener. She loves my garden. And we trade secrets a lot and sources. And We've known each other for 30 years. I was on her show when she was starting out in the barn in Connecticut. We've been friends ever since. Um, she's a great gardener. Great gardener. And uh, yeah, I think if you're going to get tell. gardening tips straight from Martha Stewart, <laughs> oh, that's so smart. And yeah. She, you know, she's helped me a lot about stuff that I never think about different pesticides and organic stuff and how to plant. And she's very good at all that. She's a brilliant gardener. Um, that's a good I bought neighbor this to house have. in 1991 and uh, it was a beautiful land. I bought it because the land was so beautiful and I didn't realize it was owned by a very famous gardener. All the gardener gardens were gone and it's all wrecked and everything, but there were great, beautiful specimen trees that I noticed that were on the property. So I just sort of made this my project for, for my life. And I've recently it's been published so many times and, you know, when I think, Probably like oh, when I was 34, 35, it was probably first published in Vogue. And 
but I've added on to it. I've just in the last uh, four years, I've put two beautiful extensions on it. And uh, it's just a great place for me to come and ponder and play and plant in my garden and decorate rooms and change it. And it's just, it's just something that I enjoy doing for myself. And I learn a lot about new techniques and everything by doing it in my house, my own house, and then doing it for a client or something. But the new, the next, this, the latest rendition in the book, it's very fresh and it's very pared down. Got, I really pared it down and got a, rid of a lot of things and made it very more sparse and just things that I really loved. And it's been really fun. But it's a great place to, you know, read books and and listen to music and garden and just calm down from a hectic pace that I go to in New York all the time. You know, it's just really my uh, salvation to get out of the city. I don't think I could live in New York if I didn't go to the country on the weekends. I love New York, but this this house and getting out in the in the woods means a lot to me creatively creativity wise and i love the house up there and it's been photographed so many times and here's another round of it i mean new rooms and, but people still like it they don't ever get sick of it so it's fun to show new things that i'm doing at the house and uh, the gardens. I've really been getting into gardening the last probably seven or eight years. I really love gardening now because it's really about, it's an extension out of the uh, architecture and decoration of a house. It's, it's the same thing. It's the same principle, but it's all nature. And you're always combating with nature. You know, you can build rooms with trees and you can furnish them with plants and flowers and trees and it's just a different aspect of the decorating architectural approach it's just doing it with nature and and greenery and i really do love it but i've always loved gardens it sounds very relaxing and and it's very relaxing to get your hands in the bucolic dirt. yeah and plant things and watch them grow and realize that they have a need a lot of water and care and it's just great so what what in your garden was was the most fantastic this season you know it's funny these gardens are so temperamental one year all the apple trees will be flush with apples then the next year you won't get any apples um, what was really flourishing this year were my irises and uh, and all the beach hedges that I had planted two years ago, somehow this year they all grew together and they just became what I envisioned them to be these long hedges, these long, small hedges. And they just filled in. We blocked them and cut them, cut them and trimmed them, and they're just amazing. So I have this um, tiered garden that's just rounds, curves of hedges stacking up like a wedding cake and it really came into its full glory because they all grew together and you can't even see 
a trunk or a branch. It's all just green forms circling the circles. And that's what really happened this spring that I really did enjoy seeing happen. What I really envisioned like three or four years ago, it came together. It's beautiful. I just, the parterre garden and all of the different outdoor rooms are just incredible. You've mentioned that you envision your own home as a lab mm -hmm. to try out new ideas. I'm curious, exactly. what are the latest things that you're experimenting with or what's exciting you these days? It's, um, you know, it's very funny. I realize, I mean, all of these projects that I've done and you see in these books and my first book and everything, they all look very different to most people, don't you think? They look like totally different personalities. But I yes, think- Yes, absolutely. But there's a thread through all of them that is what I, what I, who I am in it as a decorator, because I love, I love when I was young, I was, I love modern contemporary things so much, but that's youthful. That's a very youthful romantic poetry of the new. But as I've, I've learned my son, the clients have taught me along the way what they want. And that's, you have to be a good listener, I think. And then you have to go into your vocabulary and your skills to pull out what your clients are saying. And you have to have the ingredients all back in your head to produce these things that look so different, but really they're not different at all. It's, it, there's a thread through it. That's just me. And I think the thread, it's just, there's a restraint and a simplicity through it. And there's a lot of negative spaces in my work. I, I've just sort of realized that. And I like negative spaces to show off the bold, simple design elements and not over layer things and overdo things, you know, to have one complete visual story in each um, project. And uh, what have I learned? You know, I've been pulling things out of my head that I did like when I was in my 20s. Like, I remember in my dining room, I wanted to break away. I did a yellow dining room. And that is about as far away from me as you could be. But I wanted to have a room that was very bright and very happy and very warm for the winter in Bedford because it gets very snowy and, and dreary up there in the winter, which I like. But I wanted to have one room that in the center of the house that was very luminous. So I, I painted this, I painted it with glazing and painted it with several glazes on top of this yellow. It was a beautiful sort of pistachio yellow, very sort of tropical color. But then I realized it was just too harsh. So I did something that I loved. I remember when I did it in the 20s, and it didn't work out so successfully. But I put tissue paper cut into squares, graphed out the lines on the, on the yellow paint, 
and had tissue paper cut in big block squares. And we would put wallpaper paste on top of the, of the, the yellow paint. And you have to have a very good wallpaper man. And they put the white tissue paper starting from the center into each square and brushing it out with a brush. And it just softened the whole thing and made it into a different animal. And it created creases and things and it looks like blocks of stone. And it's really beautiful. And I remember doing that when I was really young, but it didn't turn out so well, but I had to really make it technical and have a professional do it, not my self doing it because I'm, I was not that patient. But it turned out really beautiful. And it's very luminous and very strange when you're in the room. It's very warm, but very glowing from within that dining room. That was something I was very proud of, but you have to experience it. It doesn't come across really in pictures, but you have to be in it. And it feels really wonderful to be in this perfectly square cube room with a round table, small dining room. It's really nice. And um, I have been really interested too in this new, this lime paint. It's kind of the fashion in the world now. And I've really been mixing colors out of these, uh, out of this formula of lime paint, which is very beautiful. You had to put it on, on with a very sort of a hog hair brush and everything. It creates these beautiful striates. And it really has a lot of depth to the walls, this lime paint. I, and it's, it's just, it was the paint that, you know, the peasants of Europe painted their houses with made out of lime. It was just a very cheap way to paint, but so beautiful. And it's, it's, it's all over Italy and France and the, in the country, but they've really refined it really well. And lime paint is so beautiful right now, but you have to know how to put it on um, very carefully. But what have I learned? I don't know. I, I learned from the projects. That's why I love to do my decorating because I learn inventing the projects and the different personalities in the, in the, in the projects and inventing a new decor. Every time it's like painting a new picture for me. And that's, what I enjoy the most of to listen to the client and embrace their wants and what, how they want to feel and, and what they want out of their environment and their interior. It's really great. Architecture is the most important thing I think for a great room. You have to really have good architecture and you have to clean up things that are not bright. If you, you're buying a house, or moving into an apartment. There's always alterations you have to make to suit yourself. I really loved that project in Florida. There was this- Oh, that was so much fun. It was a little bit shocking. You know, you I think based <laughs> on the architecture of the house felt very sort of traditional. And, and then the furniture was very, um, you kind of mentioned that the client said that they wanted a rock and roll kind of well, house and it that came through a little bit it was yeah describe well, it for people so they can it was a kismet experience because um they built this beautiful house they were they wanted 
they were spending a lot of time in the Caribbean and they saw a lot of Oliver Messel's houses, which were made out of coral stone. And he was such a great, he was a stage director really, but a great architect. And Oliver did all these beautiful coral stone houses in the Caribbean, Mystique and everywhere. And they were all sort of limestone classical houses, Palladian inspired, you know, columns with beautiful proportion rooms and sort of neoclassical. And they, they love the houses and they had this wonderful architect in Atlanta create this for them. And then they had it for a long time. They didn't go very much, but then they called me, uh, this woman and this girl, beautiful girl that was, you know, in the fashion world all of her life. And uh, she just had this hip sort of sensibility, wanted to embrace the new wave of furniture design. And she was fascinated by, you know, Zaha Hadid and uh, all this wonderful English furniture that was all young people were making. So it was just a, a great experience for me working with her. And but her, her husband always said, now, Stephen, hold her back and you do what's right for this house and use. And you work with Velma and, and give her what she wants to. So I had to do both. I had to make it in that like I remember the entry hall. I copied a drawing from um, Edith Wharton's banquette and that I saw in one of her houses. It was so crazy in the beginning and I thought this would be perfect for the house. So I did that, borrowed that from Edith Wharton. But then we did all this wonderful French upholstery and she was always wanting buying these wonderful things and asking me about this and that and could we use this and i was she was buying great stuff i told her yes 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 i found a lot of great stuff she said yes 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 and it just became a magical uh dream project and i remember i saw this incredible italian 17th century console in a London catalog. And it was just the perfect thing for the inside of the dining room for a buffet. And it was so Baroque and so crazy. I thought it would be so great. It would just molded just with this new wave contemporary stuff. She liked it. She said, but I don't like the top. I said, we can change the top. And that was sort of the centerpiece of the dining room. And then a funny thing happened that was so unbelievably magical is the dining room had like eight columns on every wall, flanking the, the, the doors and everything. Then there were flat um, pilasters. They're just beautiful coral stone. And I was in a shop in New York and I walked into the shop and there were these like four, no, there were six, six panels of Italian, like 18th century wallpaper columns that were incredible. They had been transferred in onto linen and then they were stretched on uh, boards. And I measured them. 
and they were exactly the measurement of these columns that the width and the height that were eight columns. Wow, that's wild. And they had seven. I went back, I thought, oh God, well, I can paint one of them and, and make a copy and I can do it. But I went back to the dealer and I said, is there any way that there was another one of these columns? And he said, no, I think if there was only seven, but let me ask the woman that I bought them from if she had, and she had one in her apartment that she kept. Uh, so she gave it to me <laughs> into the deal. That is a wow. wild story. They look, I mean, they look like they were made for the space in the picture. I thought it was a, an actual column carved into the wall. I know it's, it's, it was insane. And they were exactly the width and the height from the that's crazy from the pilaster to the top of it they fit perfect and things like that i mean that's so fun and exciting when you have something like that happen and uh and they and they were did you base the color palette off of those or did they just match the color like well they i, I painted the doors the blue afterward that the exact color mm -hmm. that's in the columns but i had already did, did knew i wanted to do pink and green and blue dining room chairs so that was already done but then i painted the the doors after the columns arrived and it all just came together like kismet it was just amazing thing but that helped. That, that was happens. my favorite room in the whole book. Strange things like that happen when you're doing this work. You know, mm -hmm. you find things. This is a simple thing, but I loved that you did the, the chairs in alternating colors. I would have never thought to do that. They're just solid linen or solid. Well, it looks like linen. They are linen. Um, yeah. But in sort of a mauve and a sort of a sky sky blue and they just alternate and it it gosh it's so impactful and i painted i painted the the frames that funny parrot green kind of color that's not anywhere else in the well it is in the bow and the styling on the on the table <laughs> yeah that was a, a wonderful wonderful project and the people really were wonderful to work with but I knew I was the one to do this house after <laughs> those paper panels that fit exactly into that room. They're so beautiful. Well, we, we don't see the exterior in the book, but I would imagine that if you were to see the exterior and then walk inside, it would just be absolutely nothing like you pictured it would be. Exactly. But it's it's incredible. But the exterior is very Palladian. It's two stories with columns and it's all coral stone. It's very stately. And then you walk in and it's just like fantastic. And the th first thing, I think I got the job because they, on their honeymoon, they bought this Bernard Buffet tapestry. And they had it always folded, the two eyes on the wall. Mm -hmm. It was very beautiful, but very crazy. And they, they unfolded and so <laughs> it's you, pretty crazy. <laughs> can you use this in our house? Because we love it. And she, they told me the story. And I said, of course we can. And she said, we can put it on that wall. 
She said, well, what would we do, frame it? And I said, no, just let me deal with it and make it a tapestry and put it on a rod and hang it. And uh, so I think that sort of got me the job. But you know what? It's so crazy, but I love the thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's just so outrageous and so beautiful. It's it's outrageous thing, but it looks great in this house. So that sort of gave me the... I can't even believe someone has a wall this big. Yeah, I mean, it was huge. It's a really big tapestry. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow that set the pace and the attitude for the house. That mm. that wild tapestry. Next to the tapestry, everything looks pretty calm, don't you think? <laughs> it really does. The palette was, you know, very Caribbean and, you know, blues and watercolors, yeah. but... Yeah, it's, I, I feel like the, the homeowner would be very fun and would throw great parties. Oh, wonderful. But very elegant. She was very elegant. Wore beautiful clothes. They live in London most of the time. Well, I think it's time for our decorating dilemmas. So we have a question from Mackenzie from Dallas. So I'm going to read it real quick. And then hopefully you've got an answer for it. All right. Ladies of Ballard and distinguished guests. Quick design dilemma for you today. My husband is 6'5". I am 5'7". In a house with eight to nine foot ceilings. We were raised by attorneys. So there's no shortage of debate around the height at which art should be hung. Of course, my husband centering the art at his eye level effectively places the, place, the piece on the ceiling. And even when we compromise and hang it at an average between the two of us, I look at it and think about how only amateurs hang art too high. We need an opinion to trump them all and you and your guests will be our tiebreaker. Should the art be hung mid wall where it looks fabulous for guests or should it be hung centered at our monstrous eye lines where we can properly enjoy it? Love the show very much. XO Mackenzie from Dallas. And she also says, welcome Liz and tell Karen she's missed. I would think they should uh, do the second choice of between them and, and not at, at a medium height that the guests can enjoy. I think they should enjoy it. They live in the house and it should be higher. And I think it's always nice to look up at art and still just look straight at it. Do you have a height? Like, a, Do you have a specific height you would suggest for her? Oh God, I don't. I mean, if I was in the room, you know, the thing about it is I never ha hang paintings with a tape measure. I hang paintings with knowing where the hanger is and hold it up and move it around and don't measure it because I think it's much better to be off than perfectly placed. Let the museums perfectly place them. But I think if you just do it for yourself because it's your painting and it's your intimate thing that you're going to look at, what looks good to you? What looks good to both of you? Make a compromise. But I could never give anything like a height, a specific height. What about if it's hanging over a furniture piece? Should she change her height based, you know, like if it's relating to a console table versus just if it's in an open wall with nothing under it? Should she approach it differently? I think 
It's something that your eye has to tell you to do. The, the console or something might be shallow. It might be deep. It might be too high for the hallway. You know, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, there's so many different problematic things about this. I think you should hang your pictures where you're happy looking at them. And being five, was he, was he six, four? Six five, and she was five seven. He's six five, she's five seven. Mm -hmm. That's problematic, <laughs> but I would let her, it's I would let her look up at the a little bit more because I think paintings look better looking up and not looking at eye level. I think eye level is not so hot. I think it's always, always, okay. I've always been accused of hanging my paintings a little bit higher than they should be. It's personal taste. You know, there's no right or wrong with this. Mm -hmm. But I do like the idea of not measuring to hang a picture. Hold the picture okay. up where you think it's going to go. You have, I, I, I arrange the pictures on the floor first, you know, how they go together if you have a group of pictures and then put them up a little bit above eye level though I'd okay say. so mackenzie the attorney <laughs> the attorney and the attorney and mackenzie or she was raised by attorneys but they're, they're not going to love this answer because there is no like well or maybe they'll love it because you can argue both sides yeah go. exactly i also think you can probably so, you could probably buy bigger art too and then hang it as high as you want and let it Straight down. Exactly. I mean, you can't hang little pictures up high, but they can be very low over a table. If somebody sits in a chair next to the table, they can look at the picture. I mean, when they're like yeah. eight by 10 or something, that's a small picture. They should be intimate around tables and something, but a big piece of art. I don't, I don't know if these people have, how high was their ceilings? What would they say? She said eight to nine foot ceilings. Well, that's not a real high ceiling. Well, it kind of is, eight foot normal. But I would, I don't know what kind of paintings do they have? Do they have huge paintings or do they have small paintings? Or, I mean, that's what they should work out themselves, you know? Okay. Th their heights. <laughs> There's no really logical answer for that. Just what will make them both happy. All right, so compromise is the name compromise of the game. Compromise like on that. All right, well, Mackenzie, good luck. Let us know what how it shakes out. If you need a follow up, send us an email. <laughs> but uh, that was a Astra, good, good it, it really, into that. It really pretends to how big the paintings are. Are they big? Are they medium? Are they small? I mean, it's just logic, you know. So you're saying the bigger the painting, the higher she can hang it. Yes. And the smaller the painting, it needs smaller, to be lower. The, the lower it should be. Yeah. Okay. I like that rule of thumb. That's a, that's a good kind of... I also never measure my art. I just like hold it up or make my husband hold it up and then yeah. just see and eyeball it. It's the best. And you know, so really a great collectors that collect major art that's how they do it they don't measure it they're art hangers that measure it but a personal collection 
and people hang it just visually where they want to put a nail in. Like I read that about Bunny Mellon and her husband. That's what they did. They just took a nail and a hammer and put it where they wanted it. And they had the greatest collection in America, the National Gallery in Washington. They never measured for the tang painting. And I know great collectors. I'm just like Bunny Mellon. <laughs> my, you know, my work is kind of esoteric, you know, I think. It's a good read, the book. It's really a good read to read it because you can kind of get into my head because David Netto asked me great questions and I kind of elaborated and we edited a lot and it makes sense in the book. My favorite projects were the Florida house and then your neighbor. Um, the neighbor with like the oh, Dominique stairwell. Yeah, the yellow room. Loved both of those and they were so opposite. So opposite. Those are your two favorite projects? I love to hear <laughs> those that. Those are my two favorites. The, so the more country one, right? Mm -hmm. I love that project too. I did that over COVID and I had the best time because we were, we saw each other all the time and we're always wearing masks and everything. It was just a great time to work. And uh, we had this great painter and I mixed all these colors and it was just, it was so great that that project. Yeah, I loved that. Um, I love that chartreuse. What what was the like paint finish in that chartreuse? That is that well. is the lime wash. Okay. That's the lime wash. And it's can, magic. Yeah, it's very magical. And it's a company called Sydney Harbor. But I mix them, the colors up. You buy it out of Los Angeles or San Francisco, Los Angeles. San Francisco, Sydney Harbor, beautiful paint. Okay. But you really have to know wow. how to put it on correctly. You kind of have to flame it and paint it like flames and join it together because if the paint overlaps, it gets very heavy. Interesting. It's, it's, and did, is that the same, the same thing on like the fireplace wall that's sort of a chocolate Yeah, it's brown? the same thing, but I mixed the colors. That was an amazing. Clip. Yeah, I loved this brown fireplace wall. It almost makes the entire wall feel like a painting, like a piece of art. Oh, that's nice to hear. I that was two coats of brown, <clears throat> different shades of brown of this lime wash. Yeah. So did you I mean, how did you come up with that? Like, did you test them and did you intend to layer them or did you get to and then you No, I put the first coat on, on and it, it always dries differently. And it was a little bit mm -hmm. too light. So I took this, the same color, put it in a, and I tinted it a little with a little bit of black and a little bit of gray, made it a little bit darker. And you have to mix it really well. It's tricky and put another coat of it on. And it was just beautiful. It almost looks like suede. It, yeah. The lighter color comes, it's all very translucent paint and the lighter color came through the dark it's fun it's, with the pops of green oh i just loved it <laughs> yeah that was a successful everybody loves that project and i do too but it was successful and the client you know the client was so up for it and she just let me do what i wanted to do and i remember that it was a little bit too turquoise in the family room and she says it's a little caribbean for me what 
what can we do to tone it down? <laughs> I said, we can just put another glaze on top of it. So we did it and it was perfect. It's fun to, you know, work with people that have very specific, they notice something that they, it's not right for them. And I love that. In your home, is it in your sort of turquoise living room? Is that what it is, what that is too? It's kind of a Prussian blue, yeah. I'm going to paint that this winter with a celadon glaze on top of it. You know, I'm always doing this wow. stuff, you know, for my own self. I'm going to change that. I love it, but kind of, it's beautiful color. But I want it lighter in the room. You know, I've been living in there a while, and it needs to be a little bit lighter and luminous, the walls. And love your fearless experimentation. Yeah, it's totally fearless experimentation. And it's hard to get it right, even if you've been doing it a long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's a good reminder that sometimes you can go back and redo things and you oh, don't sure. have to get it right the first time. Just don't ever limit yourself to anything. You know, you can change it. The change is great. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, all of that. Well, they can follow my work on Instagram, Stephen Sills Associates. And uh, I'm here at Madison Avenue, 819 Madison Avenue, in my office like five days a week and all the books are, have been uh, produced by Rizzoli. They can go on Amazon and buy them. I'm very excited. And your website. My website, Instagram's great. The website, stephensills.com. All right, great. It's all there. Well, thank you so much. We, we really appreciate your time. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.